Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. The, the, the fourth of the un-sermons, an unexpected visit, fits this boy. Um, this baby, this boy, this man that he grew up to be, Jesus, everything about him was un uh, he was undesirable, at least his family tree was. Isaiah tells us he was undesirable. Uh, nothing about him that would attract people to him. He was unplanned, at least in human thought. Uh, they, they knew what they were looking for and had an idea, but his presence surprised them, certainly surprised Mary and Joseph. He was unlikely. He, he's not the, the type, as we looked at last week, that... that should have been a savior. There was nothing special about that baby born that time, at least outwardly. Uh, we know that that was certainly not, uh, not true, but the outward expectation uh, was that he was a, a just regular old kid. He was, uh, he was unexpected. The visit today is unexpected, but he was unexpected. They weren't looking, they were looking for the Messiah, but they weren't looking for the Messiah that day. He was, he was unnatural, uh, supernatural would be better, but I'm trying to keep that un-theme going. Uh, he was unnatural, it just, he, he did things that people couldn't comprehend a person doing. Well, we know that he wasn't just a person, he was 100% human and 100% God. But he blew their minds at his birth, he blew their minds when he was 12, and he blew their minds when he was 30. He, he was unorthodox, at least in how the orthodox of the day uh, saw things, how the Pharisees understood things, how the scribes of the law un understood things. He was actually very orthodox, but the people of the day said, wait a minute, this, this isn't right. He was unwavering in his commitment to his father, to his father's word, and to the plan that would eventually get him to the cross. He set his eyes on Jerusalem, the Gospels tell us. He knew what he had to do, and he would not be deterred. And he was unassailable. He was sinless. There was nothing you could do to uh, 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 attack him, his integrity, his sinlessness, who he was, he was just a life of un. He was unlike anybody who had ever lived or would ever live because he was God's son. Let's remember Matthew's reason for writing uh, this, this gospel. Uh, he's, he's, he's doing this to show, first of all, that Jesus fulfills Jewish scripture, that he is the Jewish Messiah, his intent is very different from Luke's gospel, uh, nativity narrative, birth narrative. Luke is writing for Gentiles primarily. Uh, Matthew is writing for Jews primarily. So he's showing how he fulfills Scripture. Uh, that's maybe half of what he's doing here. The other half is that he's showing that Jesus came for everyone, not just the Jews, which is the purpose, at least one of them, of this passage that we're looking at today, the, the story of the, the Magi coming to visit. So that's an interesting juxtaposition for Matthew to say, 
He fulfills everything you're looking for, Jews. He fulfills all of the Messianic prophecies, but he's not just for you. He's also for everyone else. That took some getting used to, and some still haven't gotten used to it. As we look through this passage, though, we need to forget movies and our nativity scenes. Movies are intended to, to dramatize things. They want you to, they, they have to add things because if we made a movie out of just uh, the, the nativity story as we have it, it'd be a very short movie. So we've got to add things to make it more exciting. Forget movies as we move through this and let's let the text speak and see what God intended us to absolutely know about the birth of Jesus. And then we can talk about what might have happened in those places that, uh, that he, the text doesn't speak. Because the reality is we need to understand this because we can't preach or teach or evangelize with what isn't in the Bible. Does that make sense? I, I try not to, on Sunday morning, preach what's not here. I try not to preach what's not here. I try to preach the text, and we can talk about what could be going on in the background, and we need to understand some background to know why they were writing. But we need to be careful that we're not adding to it in such a way that it creates a stumbling block. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more later. So we're at chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, the, the wise men visiting Jesus. And it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For he, we saw his star at its rising, and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled, uh, assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people, and asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him. Because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them to uh, the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star that they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling, falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route." Now, as we read this, and if you were here last Sunday night for the Nativity Story, the movie that we showed, or if you've watched it before like we do every year, uh, you can take that movie and what you saw and go, wait a minute, there was a lot in that movie that wasn't in Scripture. And that's, that's what we want to do today, not preach a movie, uh, but, but learn from Scripture. So let's begin with who these wise men were, as we call them, verses 1 and 2 tell us that. They, uh, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem. Who were they? Well, they were astrologers or magicians. 
uh, not kings. We, our song is We Three Kings. They wouldn't have been kings. Uh, they may have been a part of a royal court. They could have been advisors to a king or some sort of prince. And when we think of astrology, we think of your horoscope. Uh, that was probably a portion of what they did, but their astrology blended heavily with astronomy. It was, it was a science as well as a religion. So they did a little of both. Um, magicians, magi is, is where we get the word uh, magician from, so they, they would have had certain skill sets. But that's, that's what we're talking about here, court uh, uh, seers, court magicians, court, uh, guys in a court who would have advised the king, hey, at this point, this is what the stars are telling us. It was their career to watch the sky and see if it was telling them anything important. Uh, they were likely from Babylon. It says they're from the east. Uh, they were likely from the area of Babylon, which explains how they would have known as much about the Scripture as uh, some of these other guys, uh, the, the, the chief priests, the scribes of the people that Matthew tells us about. If they were from Babylon, it's possible, again, we don't know this, this is not in Scripture, but we kind of wonder, well, how did they know that that star was talking about uh, a baby to be born in Jerusalem, right? That, that, that would have been curious for them to make that assumption. Why didn't they assume it was a Babylonian king? Well, the Babylonian scriptures apparently didn't say anything about a king being born, being heralded by a particular star. But they could go back to, and we'll see this in a little bit later on, they could go back to Numbers 24 and see that a star would foretell the birth of a Judean a, a king from the line of Judah. You can go read that later on if you would like, Numbers 24. So they, they would have known those scriptures. Why? Raise your hand if you know the You don't have to. Uh, because the Jews were in exile in Babylon. They would have had their Bible with them. They would have had their scriptures with them in exile. They would have had copies of, we call it numbers. They would have had that. So those would have stayed probably in the library. Learned men like to learn things. So they would have had that and they would have known, hey, this star, we read about this in this religion's book. And look. The star's coming up, and it doesn't talk about us, but hey, maybe it's Jerusalem. And we don't know how many it was. We sing we three kings. Uh, we get the we part right in that. We don't know if it was three. It was three gifts. Could have been 50 guys. Who knows? Uh, doesn't matter, really. Your salvation does not hinge on whether it was three magicians or, th or five kings or whatever. But it's just as we look at Scripture, again, we just want to know what Scripture says. And then it says they were in the east. Uh, they saw, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star. Some of our older translations say in the east. Uh, the, the, it's a better translation to say at its rising. Because some people have said, well, if they saw the star in the east, why did they go west to find the baby? Right? Doesn't make sense. Where does the sun rise every day, though? Where do all the stars rise if you're watching them in, the du in dusk? So the star would have risen in the east, and it would have set somewhere around Jerusalem. It's just basic astronomy. But uh, we, 
we have made some people, skeptics, not, not usually church people, skeptics will say, well, oh, they, how could they see it in the east and then go west? Well, this is why we look at Scripture and say, what does Scripture say? And what does it say they did? We saw a star at its rising, and we have come to worship him. Now, this word worship here, it, the word itself is usually just what you would do in, uh, in obeisance to a king or a ruler of some kind. It would be the typical curtsy to the queen or the bow to the queen that they still do in England. It would, it would be simple things. It's they're more powerful than me kind of thing. That's, that's where this word really finds its, uh, its force. But... Y'all, this is a long way to travel to witness the birth of a king that only meant something politically to a kingdom that is months of travel away from where you live, right? just doesn't really make sense they would make all this journey for for an earthly king. So there's more here, and we don't see it yet, we will. But we keep that in mind. So they go as they should. They're, they're, they are court uh, officials. They go as they should to the king of the area they, uh, of the, 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 uh, the country they're traveling to. Verse 3, when King Herod heard this, because that's where they were heading. When he heard it, he was deeply disturbed uh, and, and all uh, Jerusalem with them. See, verses 3 through 6 tell us that, that Jewish religious and political leaders missed the story. They missed what was going on. Um, it's, it is said that men sometimes can be oblivious to what's going on in their immediate surroundings. I don't think that's true. I've never noticed anything like that happening personally. But it is said that dads especially can somehow tune out what's going on in the house and be completely zoned in on the, I don't know, let's pick a random example, football game, um, and, and not hear the walls coming down of their house because the chaos the children are causing. Again, I don't think it's true. But but maybe, maybe it is, because here <laughs> we've got all of these people that know all of the facts and are missing the story. They, they see the trees, but they're missing the forest. They've got the details, but they don't see what the details add up to. They're missing this, and as we read through the book of Matthew, all the way up to the crucifixion of Jesus and beyond, they continue to miss it. They continue to miss the forest for the trees. See, Herod does not respond the way he should have at hearing that the Messiah could have been born. Hold on, the Christ, this is, this is impressive. As king of the Jews, he should have been excited about that. But instead, he and all of Jerusalem, it says, was disturbed. Now, why would all of Jerusalem have been disturbed about the Messiah being born? 
It could be that uh, this all of Jerusalem phrase is used to describe his court. All the, the learned people, all the smart people he's going to talk to about Scripture and say, hey, who, who, where's this baby supposed to be born? They were all disturbed because, oh, this is going to, yeah, we don't want this. You're the king, Herod. And it could be that he meant all the people of Jerusalem were disturbed because they knew what an absolute lunatic Herod was. And as soon as he heard there was another uh, uh, person that could be coming after his throne, who knows what he's going to do now. He's already killed at least one wife and maybe a couple of children uh, that he thought had their eyes on his throne. So it could have been that sort of disturbance. But everybody knew when words started, get, started getting out, the ripples. What does this mean? That, what does this mean? What does this mean? They started asking questions. Herod began to ask questions, but... The, 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 the direction he was going with his questions was not the direction he should have gone. So he, he brings all of these uh, folks in. They're disturbed about what's happening. And, and he asks his uh, um, chief priests and scribes, the people, where he would be born. And they say, in Bethlehem. And here's the, here's the passage. You, Bethlehem, least among the rulers of Judah... Out of you will come a ruler. They knew the location. The chief priests and scribes of the people did. And they knew the symbol. They understood. Wait, these guys saw a star. Well, we missed that. Well, the star, yeah, that means the Messiah. It says it right there in uh, uh, Micah 5.2. Uh, rather, I'm sorry, Numbers 24. And, and, and it says that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. That's Micah 5.2. Yeah, that's where it is, guys. Really, guys, y'all, you had it, but but you're so detached from it. It was such a a an, an intellectual endeavor for you to well by the calculations and the prophecy, and then we add two and carry the one. We get Bethlehem and 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 the star. Sure, yes, that enjoy yourselves, sirs. And then they go back to reading whatever it was they were reading. They just completely missed what God was doing. And, and I think we have to stop here and ask ourselves why. Why did they miss it? Why were they not in tune to what God was doing through His Word, or at least by uh, pro prophecy of His Word, to what was going on right around them? Why did they miss it when it was as clear as the nose on their faces? They weren't in tune to what God was doing because they weren't in tune to God. They had a knowledge of Scripture, but they did not, a ha did not have a relationship with the Lord. Y'all, as churchgoers, it can be incredibly easy, especially longtime churchgoers like me, who has never experienced a time when he did not go to church. I don't remember not being in church. It, as soon as I was born, we were in church, and I have been ever since. And, and no, no lag, no, well, we went a few months without going, or we went a year without. It's just never happened. And we can get so comfortable with our knowledge of Scripture. Sometimes we can get so comfortable with our traditions. If you don't believe me, put out on social media 
that the wise men weren't there when the baby was born. Oh, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But put that out there. Or put out that it wasn't in a stable, it was probably in a house. And see the people, whoa, um, why? Well, because they're married to the ideas. And I won't say they're not married to Jesus. I'm just saying when you are talking about things that people have grasped for so long and then tell them, well, that might not be exactly right. Or you might be putting more emphasis in a place where you shouldn't. Well, that, that's an attack. Well, here you had guys who were reading and studying and should have known exactly what was going on, but they had become so used to their scripture that it no longer affected them. Even when one of the, I would say, the major prophecy of the Bible, the Old Testament all points to Jesus. That's the whole purpose from creation all the way down through the law and the prophets and the writings. It's to get to that baby that's born. That's where it's all pointing. And they knew that. And the Messiah comes and they go, yep, good luck. We're going back to our study. That's what they did. But people sit in church all their lives and still miss Jesus. Statistically, and, and who knows if this is right, may, maybe we're just extremely above average here and it, it, it's just not true of us, but there are those who will say, Billy Graham being the, probably the most famous one, at least that's who he's, who's credited with saying it, that some... 70 to 80% of the people who attend church on a Sunday morning aren't saved. Only about 20% truly are. How in the world does that happen? Because people sit in church all their lives and still miss the gospel. And it's sad. But we, we know that it happens, and you probably know people. We've, we've experienced someone 60s, 70s, 80s, literally been in church forever. Okay, not literally, because that's not for it, but you know, figuratively been in church forever. And they get saved, and everybody, well, yeah, how did that, he's always been, because he never made it his. He knew the scriptures. He had a relationship with the scripture, but he didn't have a relationship with the Lord. So that's how it could happen, and that's where they are, and, and they miss it, and Herod understands it enough to be against it. Uh, he believes it, right? Herod believes in the Messiah, but not the right way. Just enough to try to get rid of him. So what was the star? Uh, verse 2 tells us about a star. Verse 7, uh, he says, Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them to uh, the exact time the star appeared. What? What was that? Could it have been, let's look at some natural explanations. Could it have been a comet, for example? Um, no, uh, based on the timing of everything, the only comet that would have been seen was Halley's Comet, and we're six years too early for Halley's Comet. 
That would have happened six years later. So it wasn't a com- comet. Um, was it an overlap of Jupiter and Saturn? If you saw the movie, that's what they went with. Uh, it could have been. That's possible. It, it fits the time frame that those two would have come together and created a, a bit of a brighter star. Could it have been a, a nova or a supernova, that, an exploding star that's uh, not recorded in... Uh, I mean, it is recorded, and it's possible one of those fit the time frame. So it could have been a natural explanation. But let's not, oh, Michael's trying to explain away miracles of the Bible. No, 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 I'm not. It is no less a miracle for it to happen naturally than it to happen supernaturally, than for it to happen supernaturally. Does, here's the question you're asking in your head, maybe in a different way, does a natural explanation take away the supernatural? No, it does not. But, verse 9, and this is where the natural explanation kind of gets pushed to the side. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. Okay, envision this. And, you know, I'm not a good enough astronomer. I took astronomy in college. I don't even play one on TV. But they were in the west, I mean in the east rather. They saw the star rising, and it was enough to get them. Okay, we're going to follow that. Yeah, okay, and they end up in Jerusalem. They went from east to west. And then, after talking to Herod, they say, Herod, the star, oh, yeah, it's going to be Bethlehem. So you need to turn left and go south. See, Bethlehem was five miles south of Jerusalem. So they turn and go south, and lo and behold, there's the star. Now, We can say that it rose, and when they saw it, it was lower in the horizon, you know, seasons and all that. Lower in the horizon, and oh, it's the, but it's going to go over there while they're looking south. At some point, somehow, Scripture's fairly clear. It stopped, and it guided them. And it is even so, uh, it, it even implies that, it's shown on the exact spot. I, somehow they got to the right house. And they didn't have GPS. They didn't put like Jesus' birthplace. And No. It was this light guiding them. So even if we talk about planets aligning or supernovas or that kind of thing, that doesn't explain what God was doing to get these people, these Babylonians, these people who are not part of the covenant. Remember, Matthew's writing to Jews, and he's telling them about these Babylonians. How many of you think the Jews liked Babylonians? Not so much. Uh, You think it's still bad in some parts of the South when you talk about the Civil War, and the South will rise again. No, you're not. But Let's, let's make that, take that like 50 times, 1,000 times greater. Babylon is a curse. If you don't believe it, go read Revelation. It, whether you believe it's a literal Babylon or a figurative Babylon, it is the source of iniquity and the source of, of uh, uh, destruction, and, and it is, it's a bad word. And here we have 
very likely Babylonians that are trying to find Jesus. And who isn't? The scribes, the Pharisees. So they, they see this star, they head south, and it says it, it appeared... Um, And it led them until they came and stopped over the place or the house where the child was. Now I'm going to, you know, it's a house, it's a child, it's not a baby in a stable because that's what our nativity says. Let's just understand a lot of the details are up for discussion. Um, The text says that the wise men went to a house and they saw a, we would have translated it today, toddler. Uh, they weren't there for the baby. But maybe they were. Maybe they were for, there for the baby. Uh, maybe. We're, we're pretty sure now that he, he wasn't in a cave or a stable. If you came to our Lee Strobel uh, study on Sunday nights, you learned about that. That it, he, They were probably in a house. They were probably in a family's house. Uh, I, had, I was educated by my 12-year-old this week. Uh, Jaden says... It, During the movie, he leans forward and says, Daddy, if Mary was of David's line too, wouldn't Mary's dad have to go back to Bethlehem also? Yeah. I had never thought of that. As I said in Sunday school this morning, I got a seminary degree. That has never come up. And then three days later, i got to give credit where credit's due. He's not in here. He's being secure for us. But Lee texted me. Lee Bird texted me. Hey, I was just thinking, if Mary was of David's line, wouldn't her her parents have to go too? Yeah, Jaden covered that three days before you did. Sorry. Um, But yes, that's, that's true. So we create these images. Michael, why do you care about these details? It's not a salvation issue. No, it's It's not. But when somebody wants to debunk the Bible, when they come and they say, well, it's not true, you know, I've studied it, and it doesn't say anything about a, a, a stable or the, the, why you put the wise men at the baby, all these things, they, they're, they're grasping at straws is what they do. And so if we understand Scripture, if we go to Scripture and let it speak, we can say, you're right, it doesn't say that. Now, what it does say is a house and a baby, and, and yes, you're, you're correct, but does any of that affect the gospel message? The answer is no, but as people of the book, which Baptists like to be called, then we should study the book and learn what the book says and not what movies and Christmas carols and our favorite nativity scenes say. Ultimately, some of this really truly does get lost in translation. From Greek to English, we lose some things. Uh, it says child in the Greek. It'll, it would have said baby if it had meant infant. The point is, we want to go to the text and see what the text says. And so we see these guys looking for a child. that They're going to worship. And when they find him in verse 11, that's exactly what they do. They worship him. Skip down to verse 11. Entering the house, here it is, entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Now we get to where Matthew's kind of expanding this word worship. 
Don't know if they realized it when they got there. Don't know if they knew when they left Babylon. But when they got to the house and when they saw this child, he didn't have a halo. He wasn't wearing special clothes. If he was a toddler, he was dirty, probably from playing in the floor. Chances are he was snotty because all toddlers have a runny nose. It's just part of who they are. Uh, he was running around. He was probably playing with dad's tools, at least the ones that wouldn't hurt him. Uh, he was doing all these things. But they knew this isn't just another 15-month-old, 16-month-old. This is not just the next king of this kingdom. This child is much much more. And so it says they worshipped him. They didn't just bow formally. They got on their knees and they worshipped a toddler. Something about that kid. He was un, right? This was unexpected for them. Not the sort of thing that should have been happening with a toddler. And they brought these gifts, and uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we have uh, assigned some uh, uh, symbolism to these gifts. Some will tell you gold for a king, frankincense for a prophet, and myrrh for his death. And those are Great and, and, and it boy, it just it does sound good, but again, we don't want to say things about it that Scripture does not say about it. What Scripture does say, though, is in First Kings chapter 10 that gifts were brought to Solomon, the wisest king that ever lived. And it was similar to these gifts, and it was they were gifts from the east. This, in part at least, is a do-over. David's son, Solomon, the wisest king that ever lived, got these gifts from the east, and yet he had his 300 wives and 700 concubines, and he was, uh, in a lot of ways, a good king, but in a lot of ways, he messed some things up, and it was his son that split the kingdom. Uh, it was uh, his sons, rather, that split the kingdom. This was a do-over. You were David's son, Solomon, and you got these gifts. The, the, the nations came and bowed down to you, Solomon, but you weren't the Messiah. Generation, 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 generation. And more gifts from the east came to David's son, a toddler, not an adult king, and he was the Messiah. He was worthy of those gifts. He was the fulfillment of the prophecy. Psalm 72 and Isaiah 60 talk about the nations bringing gifts to the Messiah. And here, just a few months maybe after he was born, the nations are bringing gifts to the Messiah. We're not going to talk about the flight to Egypt, which is the next passage in Matthew. Um, but Joseph wasn't rich. 
They didn't have uh, the, the trip to Nazareth uh, from, in Galilee down to Bethlehem would have been very arduous, quite expensive. They would have set up shop in Bethlehem. They'd have just moved at that point. And then when they get called and told to go to Egypt, lo and behold, three guys show up with incredibly expensive gifts that would have financed what? A very long trip to Egypt. We talked about this morning, God's planning in all of this, God's timing. This was just one more way that God provided what the Messiah's family needed. Let's go back to Herod. The, the, the wise men came and worshipped. Herod should have worshipped. Verses 8 and 12, though, make it clear he did not. Verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. Uh-huh, yeah, right, because verse 12, clearly that was not his intent. And if we read on verse 13 and 14, we see what his intent was. He did not worship. He had no intention of worship. As a matter of fact, he feared for his throne, a throne that really didn't even belong to him. He was not of the Davidic line, but he was scared of what this Messiah meant for him. Y'all, we're Herod, every one of us. We are scared of what Jesus means for us. I don't care if you're a believer or not. I know this is true because it's true for me, and it's true for many, many more that I know. But we are scared that the Messiah is going to disrupt our lives. I might have to give up something. I might have to change something. I might have to go somewhere I don't want to go. I might have to talk to someone I don't want to talk to. I might have to give up the kingdom that I have set up for myself if I'm going to truly follow Jesus, respond to the Messiah the way Scripture tells me I should, and fall down and worship Him like the Magi did. If I do that, if I sell out, He's going to take away everything I like, we think. And that was Herod's response. He feared for his throne. Herod died just a few years later. He didn't have his throne much longer anyway. But it's always fun to do the what if. What if? Herod had believed. What if he had heard the message from the Magi and gone, He's here? You, you, seriously, you, you saw the star and, it, and Beth, it's... Oh my gosh, let's go see him. Not come back and tell me when you find him, but let's go. What are you waiting on? Come on, let's get packed. We got to go. We got to, it's Christmas, right? How it might have been different. Herod should have worshipped, but he didn't. And remember why Matthew wrote, he was from the Jews, he was for the Jews, Jesus was, but he is for everyone. Matthew doesn't talk about the shepherds, Luke does, but the low, lowly shepherds came 
court officials, regal court attendants from a foreign land came. Jesus was for them. Jesus was for the shepherds. You know, Jesus was for those Pharisees and scribes of the people. Jesus was for them. The Messiah was for them. That message, that prophecy was not just an educational, intellectual endeavor. It was God saying, watch what I'm going to do in your life. The Messiah was for Herod. Herod, if I call you to give up your throne, will you? Well, Herod's answer was no. Church, if I call you to give up your comfort, will you? If I call you to give up your traditions, will you? If I call you to give up your family, will you? If I call you to give up your life, will you? It's the question he was asking Herod. And Herod gave a resounding no. Too many times, the Messiah that came for everyone, the Messiah that we profess to believe in and do unto salvation, we who have it right, we who have experienced the grace of God and have seen, a, uh, seen salvation in our hearts, we have become a child of His, adopted by His blood, we stand with Herod and we say no! And Scripture says, will you give up Everything. Say yes. Hear the message. Hear the unexpected visit that Jesus, that our Lord makes on your heart today and asks you, will you follow me? But Jesus, you're going to make me give up everything. I might, he says. And I'm certainly going to ask you to let go of it, open-handed, come to me and say, take what you want, give me what you want, and I'm good. Will we say yes? Because the Messiah is for you. Believer, today... The Messiah that you have trusted in is for you. Unbeliever, you're struggling with the, with the idea of being saved, and, uh, but I'm not that bad. Yeah, you are. I don't need to repent. Yeah, you do. The Messiah is for you. Or maybe you're the other end. You're not, oh, I'm not that bad. I'm, I am the worst. Y'all, Herod was kind of the worst. And, and the Scripture was for him, and the Messiah was for him. And this morning, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Messiah, the Savior, is for you. And you can know that salvation today. You can know what it is to experience a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Not just a relationship with His Word, not just a relationship uh, with His people, but a truly saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And you can do that today by giving your life to Jesus. Trusting Him as your Savior. You begin by admitting that you're a sinner. It's usually not hard for most of us. 
Admit that you're a sinner. I am what you say I am, God. I'm a sinner. I'm bound for hell. I deserve the judgment that I will receive. But I repent of those sins. I leave that life behind. I leave my kingdom behind. Unlike Herod that wouldn't let go of anything, I will let go of everything, leave it all behind, and follow you wherever you lead. We sing a song as Baptists, and we have for years, wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. But do we mean it? If we admit that we're a sinner and we come to him and we say, I will follow you. And then we believe that Jesus is our only hope for salvation. I got no other hope. I have no other opportunity. So, Lord Jesus, I trust you. You, I confirm my devotion to you. I choose to follow you, give you everything. Lord, I pray that you would save me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And he will. He absolutely will. That's the unexpected visit on your life today. Is the Lord drawing you and telling you, O sinner, come home. Pray with me. Father, thank you. Lord, that you draw, that you give us scripture to to show us pictures, uh, images, examples. God, that you are patient (laughs) way beyond any of us. Your mercy is never-ending. Your grace is unlimited. And Lord, you call us and you call us and you call us. God, I pray that someone that has been putting off trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior will do that today. Will, Will follow you. Will no longer say with Herod, no, but will say yes, like the wise men, the magi, and follow your calling and worship you. And Lord, there very likely are believers here this morning. We've trusted you, Lord. We, we believe in your salvation, Jesus. We, we know that our home is, is secure, our, 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 our hope is eternal. God, you've been asking, you've been telling, you have sent the message to us many, many different times in many, many different ways, and and we continue to tell you no, because Lord, you might mess up our life. You might take things from me that I don't want to give up. You might not let me have things that I want. And we tell you, like Herod, no. We miss it. It's plain. Still we say no. Lord, I pray this morning somebody here turns that no to a yes. And they come to you with outstretched arms, open hands, and say, Lord, it's all yours. Whatever you say, I will do. Wherever you lead, I will go. Lord, let that be our prayer this morning. As we respond to your word in our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
So what is your response in this time of response? Maybe you need to trust Christ as Savior. You you don't do that by praying with me or walking an aisle. You do that in your heart where you stand. But maybe you would like to talk to somebody about it, have someone pray with you about it. Tom will be over here to my right. I'll be standing over here to the left. We can talk to you. Maybe, believer, there are some things you've got to let go of and give God and, and quit saying no to him about. Maybe that's your decision this morning. We can pray with you. The prayer rail is open if you feel you want to lay it out uh, symbolically. But whatever you need to do this morning, this is your time to respond. Don't put it off. Don't wait. Come today. Let us talk to you. Let us pray with you. Let's stand and let's sing. And you do business with God.